Good morning. Today is Thursday, September 8th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. There are many ways to tune in over the air, online at kfuo.org or the KFUO app, or through your favorite podcasting app. How do you listen? Listen, no matter how you connect, I'm glad you're here. Settle in, open your hearts and your minds. We're about to begin. Thy Strong Word is underwritten by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. When you get a moment, visit lhfmissions.org to see how perhaps they could be a partner for your outreach or how you could support them in all the good work that they do. If you have questions or comments about today's show, or maybe you just want to say hello, you can email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. Have you ever wanted to go back to the 50s? No, not the 1950s, but the 50s. St. Paul's epistle to the 1st Corinthians does just that. It takes us to Greece in the first century, where we learn that nearly everybody in the church still needs help, needs God's help, and not just a little help, but sometimes a lot, even some admonishment so that they could live according to his will. The city of Corinth was a bustling hub of trade. Ancient visitors would have been impressed by the temples surrounded by mighty columns to greet gods like Apollo. They also might have been impressed by the relative wealth that being a crossroads in the ancient world would have brought. But with wealth and a growing population came many conflicting religious ideas, sexual immorality, and corruption. There were Christians there, too, a church planted by Paul himself, and many of them had grown used to their pagan ways of life, and the temptations of the surrounding world brought division into the church. As we unroll the First Corinthians scroll, or maybe crack open our Bibles, or bring our epistle up on our phones to introduce Paul's epistle to First Corinthians, I'm pleased to welcome the Reverend Doug Gribbenaw, who serves as the mission advocate for KFUO Radio. Pastor Gribbenaw, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Well, thank you, brother. It is my great pleasure to be here with all of you today. I, I love dealing with St. Paul, and I should also say at the same time, I I really sort of hate dealing with St. Paul. He gives us more than enough to chew on. And I, sometimes that wrestling is quite a lot. Well, I think that 1 Corinthians especially, it's, it's like the problem-solving epistle. You know, I think of it like the formula of Concord, but in the Bible. There are issues going on. It's very practical. And then what we, what we find out as we explore this and as we let God speak to our hearts through Paul's writings is that, yeah, these, these problems still happen today, which would cause anybody to, if they really are paying attention, to appreciate and maybe, like you said, have a little bit of a, a love-hate relationship with this text. It's good to know we're, we're not alone. <laughs> and it's unfortunate to know that we remain sinners, just as our first century brothers and sisters. <sighs> yeah, we get this idea, I think, that you know the early church was in perfect unity with one another. They had no problems that we should aspire to be just like them. And yet here we go. This is a congregation that is seven years old, something like that. Paul had founded it, and now he's having to write and solve some issues. Now we have our congregations, which are sometimes 
20, 30, 40, 50, 100, 20, 30, 40, 50 years old. And we face these problems and we just think, you know, if if St. Paul were here, then none of this would be happening. But St. Paul was there and he was having to uh, he was having to put God's word into action, trying to call these people to account. And you know, that's a wonderful reminder. Uh, a while back at, at uh, the chapel service here at the International Center of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, I, uh, I, I was preaching on a text that was reminding the, the early Christians of all the things that were written of Israel in the Old Testament, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, that these things were written for our learning, for our instruction. And in the same way that the Holy Spirit inspired St. Paul to record and write these things that were happening here at this church in Corinth for our learning and for our instruction and, and for our benefit to, to, to know that the struggles that we fight uh, and, and wrestle with, we're not alone in these things, but also that God continues uh, to do his work in spite of us uh, and to bring forth the, the good work that he has sent his word to accomplish because he sends it forth and it does not return empty. That is his promise and it is our comfort as we live amongst the brothers and sisters in the congregation of saints uh, here this side of glory. I'm really looking forward to digging into 1 Corinthians, not just today, but as we go through the entire epistle over the next few weeks. Uh, listeners, I think we're in good hands to get started with Pastor Gribbenaw, but Pastor, would you please start us before we get any further with a word of prayer. Yes, brother, it's my pleasure. Brothers and sisters, uh, pray with me, please. Gracious Lord, Heavenly Father, by your speaking, you brought into creation all things. By your continued speaking, you uphold them. You bring forth your blessings upon us every day, for this is the day that you have made, and we rejoice and are glad in it. Send forth your Spirit, to work with us and call to mind that which we will hear in your word, and to hold fast to the promises that you have given us in your Son, Jesus Christ, through whom we pray. Amen. Thank you very much. Yeah, we were already digging in, you know, like the chips and salsa that get brought to the table and never seem to get blessed. We were already ready to dive into this meal, but I want to hold us off just a little bit longer because I'd like to give you the opportunity to share with me, frankly, because we've this is our first time meeting and right now over the air, but also our listeners who may not uh, be completely familiar with what your role is at KFUO and what your ministry looks like there uh, at the uh, International Center. Well, certainly, you know, I, I will say uh, that I came to KFUO radio. Uh, I was called here back in November of 2021. Before that, I was serving a little parish in El Centro, California. Uh, it's in the Imperial Valley uh, in, in a big desert region that is now farmland because of canals and artificial watering, uh, uh, scant 15 miles north of the Mexican border. And uh, a, a little congregation there, it was there about six years. Uh, and I love the parish life. And so that is one of the things I actually I miss being here at, at KFUO Radio is is having a a flock that is entrusted to my care um, and yet then I also remember that well we, we have we have a church or in this you know as Saint Paul would say a sort of congregation here sort of uh, in a in a virtual sense not like zoom but over the airwaves 
of, of us gathering together around the Word of God. And so in a, in a sense, I sort of have a bigger congregation. I just don't get to do as many home visits. <laughs> but right. brothers and sisters, if you're, if you're near St. Louis, uh, you know, call me up sometime. I'd love to stop by. <laughs> Perhaps you're doing more home visits than you think as your voice goes into the homes of lots of people whenever you're on the air. You know, the the listeners of KFUO represent a, a wide and diverse market, as so to speak, uh, of, of Lutherans and of non-Lutherans, of working pastors, also of people who go to church regularly and some who can't make it. I've heard from folks who listen to us while they're in their garden. I've heard folks who listen to us in the car. I've heard folks listen to us uh, live or over the air in St. Louis. It's just, uh, it's an amazing ministry. You know, KFUO is the uh, country's longest continuously operating Christian radio station. I believe it holds that title and holds it fairly firmly. And you know, we're coming up very near on 100 oh, years wow. too. That's the, and that's amazing. This and that's a hundred years. 1924. That's a hundred years of reaching out with the gospel to people who otherwise may not be able to hear it or even better, additional study of the word and hearing of great music to people who uh, just want more, you know, than that one hour perhaps they're afforded at their congregations. So KFUO serves as a partner to all the pastors of the Synod and, and we're grateful for them, and we're grateful for you. So what is your role there, a mission advocate? In, in, in a very real sense, I, I coordinate and collaborate with some of the RSOs that recognize service organizations in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, uh, with some of the districts, with our churches, our congregations, as well as donors who want to partner with KFUO in the proclamation of the gospel uh, from from the studios here in St. Louis, Missouri, on the airwaves at 8.50 a.m. Uh, in the St. Louis area, globally, through our internet streaming, through our podcasts, so that God's word may go forth to strengthen the faith of those who have been called uh, by the waters of holy baptism into this family, and then to call those of other folds, of other flocks uh, that have not yet uh, received the gospel and come to faith. Uh, in Christ Jesus. And so it is a, a, a ministry of facilitation. I, I don't want to elevate myself, but in some ways I'm a little like St. Paul. I go around to different places and, and I ask for the, their support uh, to join us in this ministry and this mission of proclamation. Um, but uh, I also am, am blessed to be the host of, of what I've coined the afternoon music block. That's Monday through Friday, 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. Central Time on KFUO Radio. But I get to wander through our hymnal as well as other songs and, and, and spiritual songs that aren't in our hymnal and, and enjoy God's Word set to music. And, and occasionally, hopefully, bring a little illumination or teaching into that as well. Well, we're happy to have you here today. So you heard it, folks. Uh, Pastor Gribbenau says he's the next St. Paul. Uh, no, <laughs> but you know what? Just as St. Paul collected for the saints in Jerusalem, you know, there's there's more to it uh, than just, you know, time, talent, and treasure, but all those things, to use a cliche, go into it. And if you'd like to partner somehow with KPO, be sure to reach out to him. But I tell you what, let, I know we have people going, hey, I'm here for First Corinthians, so let's let's dig in, but I'm grateful to you for sharing what you're doing. I'm going to just get us started by reading the first three verses, but naturally we're going to want to bring in all kinds of stuff. I just, we have to get started somewhere, so that's what we're going to do. It's with this greeting from St. Paul. Here we go. I'll be reading 
from the English Standard Version of the Holy Bible. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who are in every place, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, those three verses represent a pretty standard introduction for the time of a letter. Uh, brother, tell us a little bit about that. Let's start breaking that apart. Well, you know, there, there is a, um, a, a sort of point to his introduction, and we still do it to this day. We, we say, you know, who, who is this that is writing to you? Um, but more than this, in a typical uh, rhetorical statement is he identifies not only his name, but also, in this sense, his, his authority, uh, why it is that he is pleased to speak and is privileged to speak to them, this, this gathering of peoples, and a very particular gathering of people, that is this church uh, or this congregation. And so he begins, you know, Paul, that's who's writing to you, but who is this Paul? And he says, called by the will of God, to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. And of course, then there's our brother, Sosthenes. Now, why is Sosthenes tossed in there? Uh, he is historically a, a member of, um, of, a, of a synagogue where Paul had been to establish uh, a church. And in fact, I, I just had to pull where it is. It's in, it's in the book of Acts that we hear of Sosthenes, and he's coming in when St. Paul was there. If we look at Acts chapter 18, this is the only other place where Sosthenes come in. Starting at verse 12, we hear about uh, Gallio, the proconsul of Achaia, where the Jews had made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal. Now, Gallio wanted to have nothing to do with this. Uh, he, he drove away St. Paul and, and all the Jews from this tribunal. But the Jews had then seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. And then Gallio paid no attention to any of this. So Sosthenes is one of, of a converts where St. Paul was establishing this church and is, has been beaten, rejected by his own people, for coming to faith in Christ Jesus, for this witness, this testimony, this, this martyria of, of our salvation in Christ. Same reason that Paul has endured so many beatings and being driven out from different places. And so Sosthenes is now a compatriot with St. Paul. And scholars believe that this very well may have been Sosthenes was, uh, was the scribe, the one who was writing down for St. Paul his dictations, and that very male very well may be why Sosthenes is, is mentioned, but also because of the connection he has uh, in this in this local church in this congregation in a very specific place. We know that Paul uses scribes. Sometimes they'll pop in uh, with their own little comments. The, to, but to include the scribe Sosthenes, if he is indeed the scribe, as you say. And considering his background as the you know the synagogue ruler 
who was in Corinth and beaten by that mob in uh, Acts 18. Yeah, you're right. It really connects Paul to them. Paul is the founder of this church, as I'm sure we'll cover. But at the same time, he's consistently and constantly having to defend his apostleship, or at the very least feels like he has to defend his apostleship. So going back to that very first verse, when he says Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, he says Paul called also in in Romans, but just going quickly, in 2 Corinthians, uh, he begins his letter that way, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, the same in Ephesians, Colossians, and 2 Timothy, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So him emphasizing these two things, one, that he is an apostle, but not just one of his own doing, but called by God in this case, and also connecting it to his brother Sosthenes, who is someone who has a real on-the-ground connection to these people. Yeah, he's not just sort of saying, hey, this is Paul. He really is starting to build upon what his letter is going to be about. In this case, it's giving us a hint that Paul's wanting to show that he has authority to address the issues that are coming up. Well, and there is a a sort of distinct challenge that is happening in in this church in Corinth. And in, in Luther's introduction to this letter, uh, he, he sort of brings it out. He says that that in this congregation, uh, you know, St. Paul had taught these Corinthians the Christian faith, the freedom from the law. And then Luther says, but then the mad saints came along and the immature know-it-alls. <laughs> <laughs> they brought up the unity of the doctrine and caused a division among the believers. And so, you know, I see here that, that there are people who are sort of calling themselves to be these great teachers in this congregation and starting to bring apart divisions. And and so the part of this is that Paul was saying, you know, you have these folks in here who are basically calling themselves by their own authority. I was called, not of my own choosing, not of my own will. Uh, in fact, very contrary to what I was doing at the time when he was still going by Saul and persecuting the Christian church, he was called by Christ Jesus to be the 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 instrument, the hand of God to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, uh, to preach and teach, you know, by God's by God's will, by His desire, um, to go forth. And so it was not of His own choosing, and not of His own desiring per se, but but by the by the will, the happiness, the desire of God that He should do this. But there's another connection right in verse 2, because Paul is saying that he has been called, in the Greek it's, it's kletos, uh, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. And then he is writing this letter to, uh, the, to the church of God, to the ecclesia of God, which is, if you translate from the original Greek, the called out ones, the ones who were called out of as we might hear from St. Paul, called out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ. So this calling is what brings us into this new reality. The saints there gathered in Corinth were called by the gospel. You know, the Holy Spirit calls us by the gospel and brings us into salvation in Christ. Paul called not by his own will or, any, or doing, but called by God to be a minister of this gospel. So the calling in both of these cases, 
is not because of our own our own wit, our own wisdom, uh, our our own willpower, or even the strength of our own bodies. The call that brings us to the new life in Christ is the call that God issues through the Holy Spirit by the power of His Word. Yeah, I think it's so important for us to remember that essential gospel message whenever we're reading any of these things, because it is filled with a lot of division and a lot of sins, and it's addressing a lot of things that the Corinthians need to change about their behavior. Essentially, it's law. And we have to remember that there's this unity that can be found in our sanctification through Christ. That is, Christ's life, death, and resurrection is what unifies us, and we are united in Christ even when we are outwardly divided, which is why it's so repugnant to Paul and should be repugnant to us to have divisions within our midst because of our greater unification through Christ's work. Amen. In verse 2, it even goes on to say that this call is also to be saints together, uh, a called to a holiness that is not in us but is in Christ and has been given to us uh, by Christ and given to us at the cross. It's a unity. Uh, we, we sort of die to selves, and we live to live to God and to one another. Let's move on to the next section, which is the Thanksgiving section, also a common element in ancient letters. Um, in this case, Paul uses it to thank his God as opposed to the false gods or anyone else. But we're going to read this verses 4 through 9, and then we'll dig in. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul in his famous run-on sentences, at least the way we often construct them. But here we go. We have some thanksgiving from Paul. As I said, it was a common element to give thanks in letters, but Paul uses this common idea, of course, to point yet again to the thanks he has for Christ. But within this thanksgiving, there's a little nudging already going on. You know, he's he's thanking the people of Corinth for all the 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 testimony about Christ being confirmed among them, um, not lacking any gift and that sort of thing. But at the same time, there's a reason why he's writing. So is he is he trying to is he trying to give them a little bit of a buttering up before he gets into it? Not that he's not sincere, but you know how how do we understand this? You know, I have to say that the, the the cynic in us would say, "Oh, Paul is trying to manipulate them by being, you know, all nicey nicey before you know he drops the hammer." Right. Um, but I, I've said this so many times. But ever since I I became a father, that my son Leo was born, I have a, a greater understanding for our Father in Heaven and what I have put him through, <laughs> and what I and what I've put my earthly parents through. But when I have to discipline my children, the, the, the main thing that I always want to convey, because I know we don't feel it, we don't think it in our, in our old Adam, is that the discipline, the correction, is, is not a sort of power struggle of, I'm the dad, you're going to do what I say, and by golly, be done with it. 
but it is it is born from this deep transcendent love for for my son that i wish better for him i want the good for him and i want the bad to be put away saint paul is doing the same thing you know, he's saying i love you you are dear to me children in the faith, I, I, I planted this congregation. There is a great intimacy here. And it is out of this love and out of this thanksgiving that you, this present problem child, <laughs> are given to me. I love you and I want the best for you. And I give thanks to God because you are his and we together are children of God. This is, this is the setting for the law that he will have to speak to them. That it may be tempered and, and understanding that that through Saint Paul God is treating them as sons and and ones whom He cares for and wishes for for them only the best. That is to turn from the good and to and to live in or to turn from the evil. Right. <laughs> Never turn from the turn from the evil. Live in the good. I'm I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. <laughs> well, I always sort of thought that was the worst thing I could ever hear my mother say. <laughs> When he begins with four with says, I give thanks to my God always for you because the grace because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. He seems to be making it a little personal, you know, some some manuscripts omit it, but he seems to be saying, you know, uh, he's connecting yet again to the authority that he has as both the planter of that church and as an apostle and as one through whom God is speaking. But he, he appeals to God as his God. Is, is that the right way to understand that? Well, especially in the context of this, this mega metropolis of Corinth, uh, this widely uh, multicultural city where you had many different religions as well as, as pagan religions that had many different gods, all competing and all being fully engaged in, in the lives of the people uh, because the the whole civic and the cultic, all of that was really interspersed. And Christianity was a very, uh, very unique thing called out of, right? You were offset and separated from this pagan reality. And we know even today when we're assaulted by uh, worldviews and uh, that are contrary to scripture, uh, religions that are, are contrary and reject Christ, uh, or even the, the secular humanism that rejects all quote-unquote religion, we're constantly under this attack. And, and even ourselves, we feel that pressure. What tremendous pressure these, these Corinthians, uh, especially as, as sort of a new uh, congregation, a new gathering of saints, uh, you don't have history of parents and grandparents being in this congregation, that tremendous pressure uh, to turn from the one true God and, and sort of return back to the old ways, or at least intermingle them a little bit. Uh, and so Paul is really reestablishing, uh, this, is, this is the one true God, this is my God, the one who has called me, the one of whom I spoke and proclaimed, and the one uh, in whom you believed. And, and, and I really, he's going to reestablish that you still believe, uh, even against your, your, uh, your letter, lesser good uh, person, right? The old Adam in you. <laughs> there is so much that we can take away from this uh, letter, not only because we're Christians like they were, but because we're sinners like they were. 
but also, as you alluded to, because there are so many pressures for Christians in our world today, and I guess part of the, it's not gospel, but part of what might make us feel better is that this isn't new, these pressures of society on Christians. And what should make us feel better, though, is that the same God who helped them helps us. I tell you what, we're going to take a pause. But dear listener, don't go anywhere. In just a few moments when we return from our break, Pastor Gribbenau and I will continue our discussion of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So until then, we'll see you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo, and with me today is the Reverend Doug Gribbenau, Mission Advocate for KFUO Radio. Now, Pastor, before the break, you talked about the pressure that Christians had in Corinth because of its, its great, uh, it's a great city. It has all of this pluralism and all of this licentiousness, and you, you, I'm adding words, but that's the idea I got. Uh, talk a little bit more about that. How do we have today these same kind of pressures from our society that might help the average Christian understand that First Corinthians isn't a dusty old letter to a bunch of folks from 2,000 years ago? It's very, very important for us today. Well, I have to say that with the advent of, of mass communication, we perhaps are, are living in a time of even greater pressure than the Corinthians. Uh, Part of the, the reason that Corinth was so multicultural was because of its positioning geographically and, and through trade routes. It was one of the safe places to go. So there are a lot of international travelers coming through. There are a lot of business travelers, a lot of commerce, a lot of different cultures gathering together in that place. And, uh, and today, we're, with the power of, of, uh, of radio, but even more so now with the power of, of the internet, and all of the social media channels and all the news channels that you have access to immediately uh, in your ears, in your pocket, uh, everywhere you go, we are continuously being presented with, with various propositions about what the world is like, um, who, who God is, or if there is even a God, and, and how it is that we are to be human beings, and more specifically, how you are to be a good human being. And, and this is uh, what so many of the world's religions uh, are trying to tell you. We, we call them the you know, religions of work because every false religion will tell you that you must do something uh, to be saved or to merit your salvation, to achieve it. Uh, that, that there is a work that it, and it's incumbent upon you to do something. Even human secularism that doesn't talk about salvation says that in this life, you need to do X number of things to be a good person. And so there's continual pressure on us from so many different voices. 
and it's and it's happening so often and we welcome it into our homes um which i'm not saying that all social media is a bad thing uh, i have sort of curated my facebook feed to really be only right. about cats and star trek and, and i find that to be a safer world for me right <laughs> but what the one true religion says is what we confess that that there is absolutely nothing we can do to merit salvation nothing we can do to uh to win God's favor and force him to let us into heaven. Because everything that we do, whether we think it's good or bad or ugly or indifferent, is before the eyes of God a filthy rag. And it is worthless. It is only by Christ and his perfect life and his merits that we can stand before God. And he looks at us and says, you are righteous, you are innocent, you are beautiful, you are my child. We come into that relationship with our Father in heaven by being covered with the blood of Christ in the waters of a holy baptism, buried with Christ into his death, and raised to a new life, covered now by Christ so that when, when the Father looks at us, he does not see our sin, but he sees the holiness of his Son. And we do nothing to contribute to that. It is entirely gift. And it's so radically different than the way the world works in any other religion, in really any other scope of reality, that we do nothing but receive, and we receive everything. And, and this is, you know, St. Paul sort of bringing this in, in this section of thanksgiving, that, that uh, you know, he gives thanks to my God because of the grace that was given to you in Christ Jesus. And then verse 7, so you're not lacking in any gift as you await the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You have everything that God wants you to have for your salvation. Salvation is that greatest and chief gift that we have. Um, and, and they originate from God and are delivered to us uh, through Christ by the Holy Spirit, that we will have everything, everything that, is, that we need to wait for our Lord's return and the new heaven and the new earth that await us, that we will be, as St. Paul says in verse 8, sustained to the end by God. I imagine, too, them thinking about, actually in my mind's eye, I imagine them looking out of the door of that little house where they meet or wherever they meet onto the streets of this magnificent city of Corinth. And they think about all of the unbelievers and pagans out there and the heathens who are reaping the benefits of their wicked ways. Not all the ways are wicked, but you understand. And I think about how that's the problem today. You talk about social media. A young Christian is on social media and the, the constant barrage of anti-Christian teaching and influences are out there. And there's a description of Corinth. And the reason why I'm sort of hammering home this idea of where we're at in Corinth is because it's really going to set the stage for all of these divisions and temptations that come. So reading from Robert Gundry's description of Corinth, and this is from a book called The Survey of the New Testament put out by Zondervan. The athletic games at Corinth were second only to the Olympics. The outdoor theater accommodated 20,000 people. The roofed theater, 3,000. Temples, shrines, and altars dotted the city. A thousand sacred prostitutes made themselves available at the temple of the Greek goddess Aphrodite. 
The south side of the marketplace was lined with taverns equipped with underground cisterns for cooling the drink. Cooling the drinks. Now, uh, I guess the Lutherans would like that last one with the, all the taverns, but uh, for Gundry, that would be an offensive thing. No, but we see here that it's just this bustling metropolis. And if you're striving to live as God has called you to live, it can be very, very troublesome. So let me ask you, and this is more tongue in cheek, but if you had to associate Corinth with a modern day American city, which city would you associate it with? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, it's probably probably my favorite city, <laughs> which is Las Vegas, Nevada. Oh, Las Vegas. Okay. You want to have a, 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 it is an incredibly multicultural place. People from all over the world fly there. And, and I sometimes describe Las Vegas as the most Lutheran place in the world. Mm. Okay. <laughs> because what is it we always say in the Latin? Latin, we say, simul justus et peccator, right? We are both at the same time a saint and a sinner. And, and, and Las Vegas, Nevada has these tremendous restaurants with the, the finest food, uh, the finest shows, amazing architecture, uh, you know, beauty and galleries and, and all these wonderful virtues of human intellect and, and ability all in service to <laughs> the depravity of, 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 of you know, drinking and gambling and, right. and, uh, and adultery that, that <laughs> so it's this very strange, uh, place that, that you're right. is very much like Corinth was at that time. Yeah. Uh, just all sorts of, of the heights of human, uh, virtue, human virtue and the depths of human depravity intermingled and mixed constantly. And the reason I ask you that is because I want our listeners to think of these big metropolitan cities and Las Vegas is an excellent example and what it would be like as there are, of course, Christians there living out their faith, but how that's like, and, and not just there, but of course, across our entire country. Uh, pastor, have you ever heard of the cotton patch version of the Bible? I have not. This is news to me. I take it you're not from the, the South. I am not. I'm from Denver, Colorado. <laughs> okay. So I'm from uh, Western North Carolina. There was a book or several books written in the 60s, late 60s, 1968 by Clarence Jordan. And Clarence Jordan um, was a guy who said, you know what? I want to take the message of the New Testament and I want to, as they say, wrap it in blue jeans and give it to the common people. So he did a paraphrase of a lot of the epistles and some of the gospels, maybe all the gospels. And it's colloquially known as the cotton patch version of the epistles. I won't dwell on it. But what he did is he changed the names of the, the cities. He even changed the names of the hard to pronounce Greek and Hebrew names so that common people could connect to the message of the Bible. Now, listen, I wouldn't preach from it. But for instance, Romans, he renamed uh, the Paul's epistle to Washington, as in Washington, D.C. Hmm. And 1 Corinthians is a letter to the Christians in Atlanta. <laughs> and so being from the South, that's appropriate. I'm going to read just a couple of verses from that we've already read from the English Standard Version, but now from the Cotton Patch Version. Paul, summoned into the ministry of Jesus Christ by God's will and brother Sam to God's people in Atlanta, those whom Jesus Christ has set apart by calling them together who under all circumstances identify themselves with Jesus Christ as their Lord. Yes, theirs and ours too. Grace and peace to you from our Father God and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you read through these, 
it's very clever. Of course, whenever you're doing this, he's doing his own interpretations. And I certainly wouldn't preach from it or encourage serious study. But it's out there for free on the Internet, folks. Check it out. It's not that far different than a sermon. I mean, if we think about it and we take this just as a way of expanding our, our engagement with Scripture. Right. And, and then we, we, we rely back to you know, a more faithful translation. Uh, it, it gives us a depth. And, and as he intended, as you said, it, it helps us to kind of get in our minds something that's a little closer to our cultural context. And that's what I'm wanting the listeners to do as we move forward, you know, understand that Corinth is a real place and these people are real people. And I think that's also something that's really nice for us to remember that that these aren't characters in a story, but real genuine people with real genuine issues and lives as vivid and complex as our own. But whatever it takes to also for you to connect to this story and then Understand, and I say story, but this epistle, pardon me. The telling, yeah. Yeah, the, the telling of it so that you can understand that, yeah, God is speaking to you and you're, you also are connected to these Christians across time and space by your faith that you've been given in Christ. That you will not be lacking in any spiritual gift. That's right. Uh, let me go ahead and get the last uh, seven verses out of the way so they can be on the table for us to discuss. So well, I, don't mean to, I don't mean to uh, sidestep you here, but I did want to just look at verse 9. The okay. close of this, of this section of Thanksgiving, um, and it, it, it's, it's a wonderful promise. No matter how many times we fall down and we fall into sin and we have to come back and say, God, forgive me, I am a sinner, uh, that verse 9. You know, St. Paul getting ready to, to drop the hammer. You know, he says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God is faithful. Even when we are faithless, he is faithful. He's brought us into this family. He's going to keep us here. He loves us. He wants us here. Uh, no matter how many times we fall, he's faithful. He's called us into this, into this fellowship, into this union. Uh, with him in his son, Jesus Christ. So keep that in mind before we get to the bad news. <laughs> yes, very, <laughs> very <laughs> good. Let's begin with verse 10, going through the rest of our section for today, verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. And what, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. All right, brother. First of all, I just love the humanity of Paul that comes out in this text when he's like, I'm glad I baptized none of you. Oh, yeah, except for all these people I just remembered. That's but right. <laughs> anyway, beginning at more like this was written by a scribe. <laughs> yeah. 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 Paul is just, you know, rattling it off. And the scribe's like, okay, well, no, wait a minute. Okay. Okay. 
Well, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now it's no longer my God, but our Lord, which is amazing, that you all agree and there be no divisions. Well, that's never been the case of any congregation on the planet, at least in perfection. But what is Paul calling the Christians to do here? He's calling them to well, to the thing that they have forgotten. Uh, and Luther sort of called it the, the main thing, right? That, that our salvation is in one thing, and it's in one place, and well, it's in one person, right? It is in Christ. In him we have our, our salvation. And it's this main thing that has been sort of set aside by, uh, by their foolishness, by the jockeying for power, by their, by their sinful clinging to things and thoughts and actions other than the one in whom we have life. And, and so he is calling us then to be back again in the place where our unity is found. That is in Jesus Christ. Uh, the one in, in whose name they have been baptized, right? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that there be no division among us in that we are not uh, drawn out and away from Christ as opposed to the, the, the sophistry of our own thoughts, our own desires, and our own, uh, our own wittiness. And that sort of is, is bookending the section here in verse 10, where he is saying, no divisions, you know, don't follow after all these brilliant thoughts that come into your mind. Hold fast to the one true thing that we are saved by grace through faith in the atoning sacrifice of Christ Jesus, apart from the works of the law, not with any other thing that comes out of our of our wittiness with you know words of eloquent wisdom or any of these other machinations because it is really in just the the cross of Christ that we have salvation and in that we are unified it is the one thing that brings us from our disparate lives our disparate backgrounds our disparate cultures into this new place this new culture, this new identity, this new reality that is in Christ Jesus. Yeah, what an amazing unifier that our divisions are nothing in light of what Christ has done for us. And in him, there are no divisions anymore right. uh, because we are, we are one in him, members of the same body. And, and even if I happen to be a, a, a pinky toe, uh, in in the body of Christ, right? Uh, you know, let me be content with being the very best pinky toe that God has called me to be. I don't need to be a mouth or an ear or an eye. I am. I am Christ. I am in His body, and that's wonderful. No matter what part that is. Now, in verse eleven, we have it's been reported to me by Chloe's people. That's another name that basically only shows up right here in the Bible. Um, maybe a member of this church and. She has some folks around her, her people, her family, uh, who are reporting back to Paul. He's keeping track of them, isn't he? We often, maybe in our own in our own sinfulness, would go like, "Oh, Chloe's the tattletale. No, <laughs> right. She's the one that timed us out. Uh, blame Chloe for getting another letter from Dad." You know, <laughs> but Chloe is doing this because she loves these people. These are her brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, and and some scholars have sort of looked back at this, who Chloe might have been, and and it's purely conjecture, uh, but but her name sort of means green or new, and was 
often always a, a, a name of someone of a very low social standing. Uh, so Chloe may have come from a, a, a slave background. She might have been a freed person in this sort of economic city. Uh, certainly not a well-to-do person, but one who is is in this this new body of Christ, where we all stand together, equal before the Father in heaven. You know, and and with these brothers and sisters, she wants what's best for them. Talk about someone who's come from a world of of having nothing potentially, if Chloe really is, as her name might imply, and and then wanting wanting the best for everyone, uh, regardless of where they are, and and her people, you know, reaching out to Saint Paul, saying, you know, we're having problems, and and we need help. You know, it, we we've been struggling with this, and we haven't gotten anywhere. <laughs> help us. Help us, please, and and reach out to St. Paul. Following that same speculation, though, if Chloe is perhaps even a new Christian, I think of those new Christians who come into the faith, especially as adults. They're zealous for the Lord. They're excited to be a part of a community that seeks better things than what they've been receiving out in the world. And then they get into the church, and then it's full of a bunch of sinners. There is that moment of disillusion. <laughs> right, and they're frustrated. <laughs> Absolutely. Or or maybe even someone who's been to church their whole life, and they're typically there on Sunday and maybe for Bible studies, but then they find their way into a position of leadership or ministry. And then it's sort of the same thing. There's this disillusion. And so here's Chloe reporting back to Paul. There's quarreling here. There's divisions here. This is not what I signed up for. Of course, I'm putting words in her mouth. But he does take it seriously enough where he writes over these divisions and he gets this insight into what they're being divided over. And it appears to me, and I'm sure you can give us a little bit more context to it, but there's a bunch of personalities that people are dividing over. Paul, Apollos, Peter, right? Cephas. Uh, and thankfully, they throw in Christ there too. But even at that, Paul is not commending those who say, I follow Christ so much as he's saying to each one of them that there's unity, which is lacking. And and this is also sort of a, a reported speech. This is what I have been hearing uh, from Chloe's people, that this division is, is sort of pop star preachers, right? Right. <laughs> there are these new camps and not to be political, but we sort of have seen this in a in a grotesquely extreme fashion in American politics. Absolutely. You know, you know, I am a Democrat. I am a Republican. And then you get the libertarians out there. I'm a libertarian. No, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but we have this, this, this sort of fanaticism, I think, that, that has been coming over the people in, in this church in Corinth that, that, you know, they are identifying themselves not by by the oneness that they have in in this gospel that they've been called but in uh in whoever is is the leadership there that is so attractive and maybe successful i mean we we see it even in american christianity you know you you have the big successful church down the street and and maybe you're you know a few miles away you're in your tiny little church and you sort of, sort of pine and say, oh, why can't we be like them? Why can't we be successful? Why can't we be uh, you know, a big deal here in our little town? And, and it's, it is that sort of envy, that, that human um, desire to, to have recognition. And, 
And so, you know, oh, I follow Paul. He's, you know, he's the big, he's the big guy here. Or I follow Paulus. You know, he's got a really great ministry. He's so dynamic. His preaching is so wonderful. You know, it's this cult of personality that we so easily fall into. And we do it with our own churches, uh, with, with, you know, you know, you, you have a pastor, you really love that pastor. He takes a call somewhere else or he, or he retires and then you have a new guy. And I just, you know, your first instinct, I don't like this guy. I'm going to check him out. I don't know if I like him right? <laughs> because we right. always end up putting our eyes, not on Jesus, but, but on the messenger. And th- there's a wisdom in, in the historic practice of the church in this regard with vestments to, to conceal who this person is, that this pastor may be seen for you as this is, this is Christ for you. This is, this is who is speaking to you. Not, not the person, the person is incidental to this office of, of preaching and teaching that Christ has instituted and he empowers by calling men to speak his word and not their own. And so Paul's going to come back to this and say, you know, it's, it's not about power or popularity or, or even, you know, some sort of dynamism. These are not the things to which we cling. And, and that's, I think, really why he brings in the last one, I follow Christ, not as some sort of like, oh, this, see, this is the one you should be doing, but that even here, the very thing that is meant to unify them has been twisted by what Luther called those mad Christians into another aspect of division. And how often have we used uh, God's own word to, to twist from, from the unifying reality uh, into, a, into a sort of bludgeoning that we do to, to achieve our own, our own sinful desires? We mentioned earlier already about how Paul, he's glad he didn't baptize any of you. But then he remembers, it seems, some other people he had baptized. But sort of skipping down to the crux of it, verse 17, our last verse, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, brother, I grew up in an Arminian tradition, uh, Baptist down south. So this has been used in my experience to degrade God's uh, gift of faith through baptism. So help us and listeners who might have had the same experience that I have, you know, understand what Paul means here when he divides, it seems, baptism from the gospel. Well, he's not so much dividing the two uh, as, as much as he is, he is saying that his call is for proclaiming the gospel of Christ Jesus. In that, and it happens, baptism takes place. But he has been called then to proclaim this and to establish these, these gatherings, these ecclesias, these callings of saints together, amongst whom they will then call a shepherd to, to, to preach, to teach, to baptize there amongst them as well. It's not a, a, a separation as much as it is, um, it is a good order, we might say. God has established a, a good order in which his gifts are distributed to us. Uh, and some are called to be missionaries. Uh, some are called to be uh, seminary professors. Some are called to be mission advocates at radio stations. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and yet we each are, are called and ordained to be servants of Christ and, and servants of the word. And, and more than this, I just recall that, that 
to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, while meet, right, and salutary to be done in the church, uh, in the congregation, in public, with the pastor, it is yet also uh, a, a wonderful gift given to each and every Christian that we may baptize in, in cases of emergency when a pastor is not available, anyone who, who comes to faith in Christ Jesus to baptize, right? To, to say, you know, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to deliver God's gifts to them, to bury them with Christ, and to bring them into this new life. Um, and, it is, and it is a wonderful gift given to every Christian uh, to, to baptize in that name. And then, of course, meet right and salutary to let the pastor in the church know right away. <laughs> My right. friend and I were stuck on a raft in the middle of nowhere, and <laughs> I told him about Jesus. What's to what's to keep me from being baptized right now? Nothing. I baptize you <laughs> in the name. Right. Well, brother, you know we have actually come up against our time—just seventeen verses and just the introduction to First Corinthians, but so much to talk about. Um, I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Doug Gribbenaw, Mission Advocate for KFUO Radio. Pastor, thanks for being on the show. It's been a blast. It has been wonderful to be with you guys, and I'm going I'm to leave you with one little fun fact about me. Please. I and my wife were married in Las Vegas, Nevada. Oh. So I have an affinity for this little city of Corinth. <laughs> well, I, I, there you go. I, uh, well, I hope that we get to uh, do this again very soon. Wonderful. Thank you, brothers and sisters. Always my pleasure to be with you. Dear Christian, I'm also grateful to you for listening to Thy Strong Word. I've been your host, Pastor Phil Boo. We've only gotten started with 1 Corinthians, so tune in tomorrow as we move on to the second half of chapter 1. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in Thy Strong Word. Thank you.